How often in your everyday speech do you use the word craving? I'm guessing that it's not very often. If you were to use that word, what would you be trying to communicate by saying it? We've titled our program, Craving Answers, Craving God. Let's explore the term craving today on this edition of our program. I'm Chuck Rathert with Aaron Miller. Aaron is the pastor at St. James Lutheran Church in Glen Carbon, Illinois. Aaron, do you use the term craving regularly when communicating with your family or friends or others? No, I don't. I don't hardly ever use the word. It's kind of a intense word. I'm craving. I might say I'd like some frozen custard or that sounds, you know, something sounds good to me right now. Um, uh, some sort of treat like that sounds good to me. But I, I, craving is really intense kind of a word. Uh, and also, uh, to be honest with you, uh, I have an issue with food and uh, gluttony. And uh, people who know me know that uh, um, I like to overeat. And so uh, the word craving is always sort of a trigger word for me. If I, if I find myself saying something like that, I have to back off and say, hey, wait a second. Uh, you're probably too serious about that frozen custard right now. So it sounds like you and I are pretty much on the same page. I don't think I ever use the term craving, except for those occasional times when I'm in the mood for pizza or something. Right, yeah. And I don't think I've ever thought about craving many things other than food. Do you think the average person craves answers? I think everybody craves answers. And we're in a little bit of a spot here in our postmodern world where um, th there's a push to not believe in uh, reason or, or, or logic or um, a sort of universal truth. But I think that most normal people, when they're not actively resisting that, have this sense that there's things out there that I'd like to know that I don't know, and they, they want answers to those deeper questions that they have. C.S. Lewis says that one of the things that distinguishes uh, humans from the other animals is that um, they want to know things, want to find out what reality is like, he says, simply for the sake of knowing. And when that desire is completely quenched in anyone, Lewis says, I think he's become something less than human. So yeah, I do think that humans are uh, wanting answers. Now, there, you can numb that. You can, you know, you, there, there's things that you can take to sort of uh, push those questions out of your mind, whether it's, you know, alcohol or drugs or hobbies or whatever it is. But um, in our default mode, we do want answers to our questions. So if it's not a commonly used word, when somebody, and I'm, I'm wondering if it's even generational, I wonder if young people have a different perspective in general about the word craving as to older folks. When somebody hears the program Craving Answers, Craving God, what's that all about? What do you think goes through their mind when they hear the word craving used in the title of the program? Well, that's a good question. And I wonder if it is somewhat generational. I do know that uh, one of the byproducts of our postmodern culture is a deep, deep cynicism about the possibility of knowing anything, and even the desire to have questions answered is seen by some as a little bit ridiculous, especially the younger you get, the more ingrained in the postmodern culture you get. What do people think when they hear the title of our program? Uh, I'm going to guess that some people um, 
the people who want answers would think, okay, yeah, this is good. Maybe I'll maybe I'll check this out. Maybe I'll disagree with these guys. Maybe I'll agree with these guys. But I, I want some answers. Let's see what they have to say. Maybe some people would say uh, these two losers here, thinking that they've got answers <laughs> to questions, I'm not even going to check that out. And maybe some people would say, I don't know. Yeah, I got some questions. Sometimes they, they maybe they don't realize how important these questions are to them. Uh, it, it, you know, deep down, underneath, even in their, um, uh, you know, in their less guarded moments, uh, that they, they have these deep, important questions that they want answered. Perhaps hearing a title like this and hearing the title, hearing the word "craving" in the title, might maybe kind of point them to consider the fact that maybe their questions are more important than even they thought they are. Young people, when we have referenced young people here in our conversations you have commented that there is a lot of despair among young people. They're lonely. They're experiencing difficulties. Um, Do you think that there's a craving going on there that maybe you didn't experience when you were young or I didn't experience when I was young? Um, I remember experiencing it, maybe not to the extent that we're seeing now, but there is a lot of, so it's kind of two things going on. There is, like you said, there's a ton of loneliness and boredom. And, um, you know, people under the age of 35, whatever, I, 45, I don't know what the what a good number to put on that is. But there's also, along with that, a philosophical, I mean, think about like a late night talk show host and uh, just the tone of your average sitcom or the tone of your average, you know, Instagram video or TikTok video or YouTube video. It's very, very cynical about there being any sort of thing that's important outside of immediate experience. However, that's also joined, unfortunately, with this sense of loneliness and boredom that there is something, there's this desire for something else out there coupled with the belief that that something else doesn't exist. And that creates just massive levels of despair and anxiety and depression. It's one of the main, main reasons why anxiety and depression and despair are basically an epidemic right now. Epidemic, that's a very serious word. Um, pretty strong. Yeah, anybody Can you defend who, that? Yeah, well, colloquially, maybe I don't have any stats in front of me, but anybody who's dealt with college students like I do on a regular basis or high school students know that depression and anxiety is almost universal. If I if I if I run across somebody between uh, fourteen and twenty five who says I'm I'm a content person, I, I'm just shocked. I'm just shocked. Really? Yeah, and it, it's this it's this coupling together of, um. You have answers, but there's no answers. You have questions, I'm sorry, but there's no answers to those questions. So you're just stuck. The loneliness and boredom of your life, it, that's your existence. That is the baseline of your existence. And the only thing you really have to do to grapple with those things is um, you know, some sort of medication. And for, some, for a lot of people, it's alcohol and drugs. But for a lot of other people, probably even more people, it's other more, you know, quote, harmless, unquote, uh, hobbies, you know, shopping or playing golf or playing sports or playing video games or whatever it is. But the notion that there are, the notion that you should be allowed to crave is not tolerable within um, the postmodern mind, let alone the notion that there are actually answers. If you were allowed to crave, that there would be answers to the questions that you crave answers for, which is what, uh, this is what the Christianity has to offer. All right. Well, I can see where a person might say, well, yeah, 
listening to you guys talk here and how you're using the term, I do crave answers. I'm trying to sort out a number of things in my life. But do people really crave God? Answers is one thing, God is another. Yeah, yeah, craving answers, craving God. Do people crave God? Uh, So there's two ways to answer this. One is, I agree, I agree with the Bible, and I agree with a lot of people who aren't believers that, no, I don't crave God. Uh, You know, this is what Paul says in Romans. He's quoting one of the Psalms, too, that nobody's seeking after God. And a lot of people would say, yeah, we, you know, we're, we, you know, we live in a post-God culture, and we, we've, we've learned, you know, thanks to whatever, you know, science or, um, you know, pleasure, the sexual revolution or whatever it is, uh, we're now able to have an existence without God. A lot of people would say that. However, in a more narrow sense, and also in an equally biblical sense, I would say that everybody is actually seeking after God. So, now, somebody, you know what Paul means by that is that um, nobody thinks they're looking for God. Nobody's trying to find God outside of the Holy Spirit, right? This is what um, classic Christian orthodoxy insists, is that nobody seeks God. God seeks people. And they, in turn, because he seeks them, they seek him as well. But in, in that narrower sense I was talking about, everybody is actually seeking for God Lots of people just don't know it yet. They're looking for whatever, pleasure, financial success, um, a relational fulfillment. And what they think they want is, you know, I just need to find somebody to love me, or I just, you know, I'm hoping I get that bonus at the end of the year. And what they're actually looking for, they, I mean, they think they're looking for, you know, money or friends or a loved one or whatever. But what they're actually looking for is something that that bonus can't possibly give them that that marriage or that friend relationship can't possibly get them. And when we talk about craving answers, craving God, that's the people we're trying to reach out to to say, you know, what you really want, what you really, really want is God. So you just said people are searching for God. They just don't know it yet. Yeah. And I'm thinking somebody listening to us is saying, hey, back off. I know what I'm searching for. It's not God. Oh, yeah, yeah. Don't try to sneak in the back door, back door just because yeah. you're a pastor or something <laughs> yeah, yeah. and tell me that uh, as soon as I catch up with you, then I'll know that I was actually searching for God yes. the whole time. Yeah. How do you respond to that? Well, so first of all, I, I'm really convinced that this is the case, is that uh, if you're listening to me and you're in that position, that what you're really desiring is God. I mean, it's, that, that that's me talking, right? That may or may not be right. I believe that it is, but you know, we have to test it out and see. And that's where we come down to where the rubber meets the road. You go ahead and test it out. You know, go ahead, chase the dreams, chase the, you know, chase that, uh, you know, chase that significant other that you, you've always wanted to have, you know, chase that circle of friends that you've always kind of wanted to be included in, or, you know, chase the next promotion or, uh, you know, chase, you know, break an 80 with your golf game or whatever it is, go ahead and chase it. And I hope that you get it. And when you get it, I'm promising you, you're going to realize that it's not what you thought it was going to be. It was not that, tra- it did not provide, you know, marriage, friends, money, success at golf. N- nothing is going to provide the transcendental experience that you're looking for. You're still going to be empty. I mean, it's, a, you know, a, it's, if, if you look at the lives of, the, you know, the rich and the famous, they're not typically well-adjusted and happy. They're typically, you know, best case scenario filled with uh, broken relationships, people stepped on, 
um, multiple ex-spouses. This is not 100% true, right? But this is kind of classic. It's, uh, I, I know in my college class, over the course of the several years I've been teaching, I've had several conversations with students about celebrity so-and-so uh, just committed suicide. How could that possibly happen? They were world famous. They were incredibly wealthy. Well, this is because you chase after this ultimate goal. And when you get to the place where there are no more, no more goals to reach, once your album is at the top of the charts and there's nothing left to do and you go home and lay your head on the pillow at night and know, I thought this was the ultimate, but it wasn't, then I want you to know that there's actually something more, that, it, that your desires could only be met by something more. And if it takes you chasing down these desires and getting to the spot where you say, you know what? I thought marriage was going to make me happy and it hasn't really fulfilled me. Or I thought, you know, I was going to, I thought I was going to go platinum and it, it didn't really, it didn't really fulfill me. At that point, know that there's something else out there. Great C.S. Lewis quote, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. And that's what he's saying is that you don't know yet that you're craving God. But that desire that you want satisfied, which is never going to get satisfied, whether it's the desire to be rich and famous or it's the desire for delicious frozen custard, which you eat the frozen custard, and a couple hours later, if you're like me, you just want more frozen custard. If you're playing around with those desires and think that you can actually be satisfied with them, God's the only thing that can satisfy that craving. So in your circle of personal relationships or maybe in your counseling work as a pastor— uh, you're a teacher. Do you know anybody who would say to you, yep, I know exactly what you're talking about. I chased that phantom for a long time and I wound up with God. You're exactly right. You know anybody who's made that journey? Yeah. And actually most Christians I know make that journey every day. Uh, I, I know I do. I'm not, you know, to, to sit here and say, hey, I have the, uh, you know, I'm experiencing infinite fulfillment in my relationship with God, um, that would be disingenuous. I know that that's the answer. I know that God is what I'm really craving, but, but I frequently am disappointed in uh, you know relationship. I'm frequently disappointed in my job. I'm frequently disappointed in my golf game. Uh, you know, I'm frequently disappointed in the food I just ate. And you know, I get kind of bummed and think, well, that's lousy, you know, maybe maybe these friends aren't the right friends for me or, uh, you know, I wish I had a different job where I made a little bit more money. And it's at that point that the that 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 the Holy Spirit has to check me up and say, "No, wait a second. Maybe that's maybe that's true. You know, maybe you should eat better food. You know, if you want to be better at golf, maybe you need to work harder. But don't imagine that those things are going to fulfill you. What you're really craving is me. What you really need is me." In my English Standard Version of the Bible, I actually found eight uses of the word craving. I didn't expect to find any, but uh, there were eight in there, six in the Old Testament, two in the New Testament. In every case, in that usage, the context is negative, some to the extreme. Yeah. So is craving a neutral word, meaning a powerful desire for things that may be good or bad, or is it all bad, like these eight references seem right. to suggest? Yeah, I th so I think the, the paradigm of our title is the one that it should be seen in, right? Craving is not good as long as you think that what you're craving for. So, I, of course, there's things that you shouldn't crave, right? There's things that you shouldn't crave, and there's things that you should crave. 
Uh, you know, I should crave a closer relationship with my wife. I should not crave another man's wife. And, uh, you know, just to, to know where that line is, is a helpful start. However, you know, there's things that we crave, and to go back to our title, the, the, you know, the things that we crave, which are wrong, are frequently pointers to this deeper craving of God that our heart really wants. You know, so I, I crave, uh, you know, um, let's, say, let, let's just say, for instance, I crave another man's money. And um, I, I really wish I could have some of that money. Well, so that's, that, that's bad. That's, you know, that's breaking the commandment against covetousness. And it's, you know, it's the first step to breaking the commandment not to steal the man's stuff. But what I really need to realize is that the sinfulness of craving my friend's money is not fulfilled by stopping craving his money, but it's fulfilled by realizing that what I'm really craving is financial security or social ascendancy. Like if I have more money than him, I'll be socially higher than him. Or if I had his, you know, financial security, if I had his money, then I wouldn't have to worry about those bills coming up next month. What I'm really looking for is security, stability. These are things that even if I could steal all that man's money, I would never get. And when we say craving answers, craving God, what we are saying is that God is the only one who could provide the security and the stability that money promises it can give us, especially in a capitalist, uh, especially in a materialist capitalist society like the one we live in, that only God can provide that. So, okay, so go back. Is craving bad? Craving, uh, craving my friend's money. Yes, I should not do that. But what I'm really craving is the security and stability. And if that craving would lead me to God, then that craving ends up being good. The Ten Commandments give us two commands, two, to not covet. So what's the difference between coveting and craving? Yeah, this kind of goes back to this too, right? Um, um, coveting is the desire for something that you don't have, um, longed for in a sinful way, or chased after in a way that is sinful. So the desire for money is not bad, right? The desire for my friend's money is bad. The desire for money, if it is my idol, is bad. The desire for money to serve others, to buy shoes for my kids, this is not bad. And covetousness is on the bad side of that line. Um, You know, covetousness is this um, going back to craving God, you, you know, if, if our desires, whatever they are, if they can lead us to God, they end up being good. If our desires lead us against God, then they are covetousness and, and, and they're wrong. Paul says in Romans chapter seven, he's talking about, um, and now you have to go, you have to go read Romans seven. I, he's not super explicit here, but what I believe he's talking about is. Adam and Eve being tempted in the garden, and, and he talks about covetousness, and he says, you know, if, I, if, if the law hadn't said, thou shalt not covet, I wouldn't know that covetousness was wrong. I don't think he picked that one at random. I think he picked covetousness as the primal Garden of Eden sin. Adam and Eve, what did they want? They wanted to be like God, and that's what we want. That's the, 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 our, our desires, you know, my desire for um, uh, another man's wife or my desire for my friend's money or my desire for somebody else to experience something bad because it will make me look better or feel better about myself. All these things are covetous desires. And, and 
What's behind them is this notion that I know what's best for myself. I wish that I had the power to make what I think is best for myself happen. Well, this is only this is this is God territory. Only he knows what's best for anybody, and only, only he has the power to produce that. Covetousness tries to take that. Now, if I can look at those desires and say, okay, I have these desires, but those desires can only be fulfilled in God, that would turn me away from fighting against God and turn me back to God. And in that sense, the covetousness becomes what we're talking about, this good, you know, rich craving which God has placed in our heart to draw us to himself. So what if I took the opposite side of the coin? What if I said to you, oh, Pastor Miller, I, I, have, I crave God. Yes, I do, um, with all my heart. And you would probably say, that's good. Who gets the credit for the fact that I am craving God, that I want more of God? Is that something that I brought from deep down inside myself, or does it come from outside of me? Well, uh, the Bible insists that it comes from outside of you, uh, that no one seeks after God. I just quoted that a few minutes ago uh, from Romans chapter 3, and that it's God who seeks us. Um, Jesus tells the woman at the well in John 4 that it's God who is seeking those who would worship him in spirit and truth. Uh, if I was out there listening and I didn't feel this, if, if you're listening to this right now and you don't sense this craving for God, or maybe you're just kind of exploring Christianity and you happen to cross this or a friend passed it on to you, I would say don't don't try to explore your own psyche too much. I wouldn't say, you know, where, you know, where does that desire is not bubbling up within me? What does that mean? Or that desire is there? What does it mean? I would just say, look at your desires. T- try to play along with me. There's two ways you can do this. You can try and play along with me and believe what I'm saying, that those desires will never actually fulfill you. Or you can just go shoot for it if you want to and see if they'll fulfill you. But when they don't, don't look at your psyche. Don't examine yourself. How do, why am I feeling like this? Just look at the God who promises that he can give you this fulfillment that you're looking for. What if I were to say to you, well, no, to be perfectly honest, I don't think of myself as one who has a craving for God, would you be disappointed in me? No, I just figure you're just a regular human. None of us, you know, one of the things about the, you know, what we're talking about today and about our title is that um, our craving for God is not something that we're actually aware of most of the time. Most of the time, I'm just craving frozen custard or sex or a pay raise, you you know, or a, a good nap or something like that. I don't think of those as cravings for God, and one of the points of our conversation today is to to look at those desires and say, well, yeah, I, I think that that's going to make me happy, and, and and learn to say, no, you know better than that. You've been trying for however many years you've been alive to make yourself happy by fulfilling your desires. It has not happened yet. You might as well stop. The problem isn't that you need to ramp the, uh, you know, to, to well, maybe I'm desiring uh, something, you know, too weak. I need to desire more. That's not the problem. Is is that you're not getting your desires filled in God, and uh, to go there, um, I wouldn't. It, all of us are like that, right? Nobody, nobody. There are no uh, saints here who just have this pure, unadulterated uh, vision of it's only God who can make me happy. Uh, we don't have that vision. That's why we need God to turn our eyes to Him. 
So I might have a craving for something. I confess that I share your craving for frozen custard. I'm right there with you. We should probably take advantage of that sometime. Just do frozen custard for lunch. How's yeah. that sound? <laughs> but even then, it's an occasional thing, if not right. even infrequent. Uh, should I be craving God perpetually? Um, well, yeah, you are. That's one of the points here is that even when you're afraid, even when you're craving frozen custard, what you're actually craving for is God. Uh, even when you're I'm not, craving, I'm, I'm not quite following that. Yeah. So what do you want from co- frozen custard? You want pleasure, maybe a little bit of satisfaction. I mean, you're talking about eating frozen custard for lunch. So I'm assuming that you're talking about like satisfying your hunger. Uh, most normal people who aren't sick like me and you are just satisfied with frozen custard for dessert. So what we're looking for is a little pleasure, right? And um, okay, so you eat frozen custard, and then you feel if you're if you're like me, then you feel guilty afterwards because you probably didn't eat all those calories. And besides, two hours later, the the pleasure's gone. You know, but best case scenario, you just you missed it. You know, it's it was there for a little and bit. Sometimes and it turns into regret. Yes, yeah. Worst case scenario, your stomach hurts, or you just feel guilty because you, you didn't need to eat all that frozen custard. Now. That desire for pleasure will never, ever be filled by frozen custard. Never. I'm not, this does not mean at all that frozen custard is bad or that money is bad or that sex is bad or that power is bad or that friends or loved ones are bad. That's not what we're talking about at all. It's just that those things can never, ever make good on the promises that they will make us happy. Never. And so what we need to do is to go to the source, go to the one who can make us happy. Now, this is I, I'm going to drop this quote in here because... I have to, and I'm going to apologize because it's the third C.S. Lewis quote I've done today. But there's this famous quote he has in his uh, 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 essay, The Weight of Glory, where he says, he's talking about desires and how, you know, there's this myth. Non-Christians have this myth in their mind about Christians that Christians have this idea that, oh, you should have less desires. You know, you should, um, you know, oh, so you desire sex. Christians say we shouldn't desire sex anymore. Or you desire money. Christians say we shouldn't have desires for money. It's actually not true. Christians say, yes, go ahead, desire sex, desire money, desire friends, desire power, but don't be content with those things because those things cannot pay out. And so Lewis says, it would seem that Jesus finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We're half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he can't imagine what's meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. We're far too easily pleased with money and frozen custard and golf and things like that. And again, there's nothing wrong with those things. But what Jesus wants from us is to find that he can actually give us what those things, he can give us permanently and infinitely and profoundly and deeply what those things can only give us temporarily. So in your work as a pastor, a man with a regular active relationship with the Word of God, can you help me get from dabbling with God to craving God? Can you help me move the needle? Yeah, can I help myself is the question. Uh, you well, know. After you're done with yourself, can you help me? Yeah. So some of this is, uh, some of this is just relearning a diet, right? When, when it comes to... When it comes to the things that we crave, that we take in, that damage us, um, it just is—it's a new diet. Um, 
filling up. So Jesus says at one point, his disciples are talking to him about uh, uh, food. They don't have food with them. And he says, uh, well, I, I have meat to eat that you do not know of. And what he means is, is that so food is great. You know, we need food to survive. There's something else that I feed on that satisfies me more deeply. And that's my relationship with my father. And so, you know, again, what I'm not saying is, is that um, I'm not saying, well, I'm a Christian, so I'm out there telling you that sex and food and pleasure are bad, and so we need to avoid those things. What I'm saying is, is you go and enjoy those things, but actually, when you're looking for real satisfaction, feed on God. Look for God. And if, if, you're a, if you're a Christian right now, you need to be feeding on God's Word. You need to be feeding on the sacrament. If you're not a believer, get a hold of me, and I can talk to you about where to go to get this satisfaction and um, to start relearning. To start changing your diet. What's the best way to get a hold of you? Uh, you could email me, um, Aaron James Miller at gmail.com. Um, I believe at the end here, you're going to give us um, an email address for the program as well. You could email me there. Um, you could find me online at St. James Lutheran Church in Glen Carbon. And uh, I would love to talk to you about um, how God fulfills these cravings of ours uh, with Himself. So, my last question as it occurs to me, thinking about the word craving and the fact that it's possible to be craving negative, sinful things, it's possible to be craving good and godly things, do you think that those two categories generally divide between the, the kingdom of the world and the kingdom of God? If you're craving something in the kingdom of God, you're probably on, on sound footing if you're craving things that the world promises you, you're probably headed in the wrong direction. Can I simplify it that much, or have I oversimplified? Well, I don't, I'm not sure. I guess we'd have to go on a case-by-case basis. I would say that all craving points us to God. That, that you know, I was talking, talking, we were talking earlier about, um, you know, young people and the epidemic of loneliness and boredom. Loneliness and boredom, um, that, that, you know, the things that we usually fill those up with are, you know, the, I'm not sure how to differentiate between the things of God and the things of the world. Uh, friends, um, video games, um, working out, um, drinking good wine. Those things, the, the desire to fill those, the, you know, the desire that we have that something inside of us needs filling, whatever you want to fill it with, doesn't matter. Um, on one level, it doesn't matter because that desire is in there because you need God. Whatever you want to fill it with, it doesn't matter. If you want to fill it with knitting, it's because you need God. If you want to fill it with robbing a bank, it's because you need God. And so the Ecclesiastes 3 tells us that, and there's some discussion about what this verse actually means, but uh, the writer of Ecclesiastes says that God has put infinity into our hearts and what I believe that means is that there's this hole inside all of us as humans that's the size of infinity. And what we're doing is we're throwing you know, frozen custard into it or money, and it just can't possibly fill it up. And so what we think is, well, I need more frozen custard. So we get the large next time, and that doesn't work. Or I need more sex, or I just wish I had more money, or I wish I had more career advancement, or I wish I had more friends, or let's, let's take a trip overseas next time. And we're just throwing things into that infinitely sized hole that can't possibly fill it up. And the whole point of the hole is, is that look for 
I mean, God's the only one who can fill that hole, right? And so instead of going to these things, go to God instead. It's classic St. Augustine quote that, that some, of, some of our listeners will, will, hope, will know. You know, you've made us for yourself, Lord, he says, and our hearts are restless till they find their rest in you. God has programmed our hearts to be lonely and bored and to be craving until they find him and he fills that up. Thank you for listening to our program today, our discussion on the term craving. We say thank you also for listening to Craving Answers, Craving God with Aaron Miller, pastor at St. James Lutheran Church in Glen Carbon, Illinois. And thank you to listeners who submit questions to our program. Please share your questions and comments on our website at stjamesglencarbon.org. Click Contact Us, leave your message there. I'm Chuck Rathert. Thanks for listening.